0: Hello and welcome, everybody, to London Business School. My name is Alex Edmonds. I'm a Professor of Finance here and also Academic Director of the Centre for Corporate Governance. And one of the topics I'm interested in particularly is responsible business, the idea that companies serve wider society rather than just shareholders. I've just launched an elective on it uh, with my colleague, Yanis Yanu, and also published a book on this topic. However, what we focus on is mainly large companies. We often think that companies need to be worth billions of pounds before they can think about responsibility. So that's why today I'm delighted to have as a guest, Alice Williams, the founder and CEO of Luminary Bakery, which has chosen to instill responsibility right from the start. Alice, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So, just tell me a little bit about Luminary. So, what do you do and what's the social mission in addition to your business mission?
1: Sure. Luminary is um, a social enterprise designed to empower the UK's most disadvantaged women. Um, So, we've actually set up a charity where we train women in the art of baking and provide support um, and a business where we can create employment opportunities. And we work with women um, furthest from the job market, so those that have been long term unemployed, but on top of that have experienced some form of gender-based violence that might be domestic abuse or sexual violence a lot of the women we work with have been trafficked and we believe that those women have a lot of potential and deserve a different future so um, that's why we set up luminary and that's the kind of structure that we've gone for
0: and how long have you been going and so what milestones are the main parts of your history
1: Yeah, we uh, launched under an incubator in 2014. Um, So still relatively new in comparison to a lot of those businesses you're referring to. And social enterprise, I guess, is quite a new sector still. But for us, I guess, some kind of significant milestones were opening our own bakery in 2017 in Hackney and then um, becoming our own independent entity from that incubator that was only last year 2019 and then just back in October we launched our second location.
0: So this is the location in Chalk Farm and I believe you had a quite special guest in in that uh, launch so tell me a little bit about that.
1: We did, yeah. We were lucky enough to invite the uh, Duchess of Sussex, um, otherwise known as Meghan Markle, uh, to come and officially open our site. And um, she agreed, um, much to our surprise. We had had a bit of interaction with her. She'd come on a bit of a fat finding mission to our original bakery, top-secret visit, got to meet some of our women that way. Um, I think was really impressed by them and by our work. So it was yeah, a delight to be able to ask her and for her to come and open it.
0: And you're a bit modest, Alice, about the interaction that you had with her. So she actually guest edited an issue of Vogue in September and wrote about you. So how did she hear about you to begin with? And and, and what did she highlight in, in that September issue?
1: She did. We got connected through some of the work that she was doing with the Grenfell Community Kitchen. She's a real foodie and an advocate for women. So I think we were uh, luckily quite well connected with some of those other charities she was involved with and I think heard about us that way and through her work with the Royal Foundation at the time. And then, yeah, you're right. She featured us as one of the uh, forces for change in her Vogue special edition. And that shone a massive light on our work kind of globally and really endorsed us I guess and raised our profile.
0: And there's a lot of major social challenges and causes that a business can contribute to. Why was it that Disadvantaged Women was the one that you wanted Luminary to particularly contribute to?
1: I think it was from meeting women locally. Um, I already had a kind of personal passion for women in particular, but it was in meeting women who were experiencing disadvantage. I think once you've had a personal encounter with someone who is living through poverty and a lot of the women I was meeting were being kind of forced to choose prostitution as the only way to make an income, I just saw so much potential in them. I could see that they they were saying that they didn't like what they did. They really wanted to kind of have a bit of a normal life, be able to provide for themselves, for their children, get out of the homeless accommodation that they were in. And just seeing that there were... So so few opportunities for them to take and um, also anything that was available was mixed gender and when you've experienced gender-based violence it's so important to have somewhere safe uh, where you feel able to kind of open up and be vulnerable i guess to to growing so we saw a a niche for gender-specific services that would help women leave disadvantage behind
0: Right, understood. And and what's, I think, so impressive about Luminary is that you've grounded yourself on this social mission right from the very start. So many of the companies that I know, they first think, well, if I am a startup business, I need to first make sure that I've survived and grown. And only once I've got my feet on the ground, then I can start thinking about purpose. So so why was it that you chose to embed social purpose right from the very start before you fully grew into scale? And, And can you talk me through some of the challenges that you've had to face with that approach?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Um, for us, it was that we'd met these women and we didn't want to wait until we felt financially ready to be able to do something to help them. So although we were really limited in the early days, I'm really glad that those women we helped at the beginning didn't have to wait until now or years to come before they could access some kind of support. They were the ones living through those circumstances there and then. And, and we kind of felt the urgency to provide some kind of assistance to them at that point. But I think it's also a kind of question of integrity when you're calling yourself a social enterprise, if you're setting yourself up to address that issue, or at least an ethical, responsible business, I do think that should be built into your DNA from the get-go I worry about stating that you'll build that in once you make enough money I would worry that perhaps you'd never make enough money to be able to really make that decision because of course it comes at a cost and at a sacrifice and I'd worry that you perhaps you'd never get there but I do know there are some businesses that have built it in later on so it's not impossible but for us it was just a case of urgency really.
0: And how much of a sacrifice have you actually had to make? Because there's one view that there is a trade-off: is that by pursuing some social mission, that's um, caused some distraction from the business focus. But on the other hand, Alice, you were talking about how these women have hidden potential. So is it that you've actually helped your workforce and helped your growth by hiring some women that uh, the market would have otherwise overlooked?
1: I think it's definitely a balancing act because of course you we make decisions that aren't always the most commercially driven decisions or profit-driven decisions. For example, if we were fully profit-driven, we would always hire in the best people for the job. Whereas obviously we choose to use our job opportunities to train people, to invest in them. So that takes a bit of extra resource and it affects kind of efficiency and productivity, but we choose to make that sacrifice because it's worth it for the mission. And I guess the kind of trade-off and the benefits of that is that we gain a huge sense of loyalty. So both from the women that we've invested in, they are hugely loyal to the Luminary cause and work for us for a long time. They're so grateful for the opportunity. And actually for a lot of women, we try to move them on to other workplaces and um, they really want to remain in this kind of safe environment where they feel very loyal to and continue to support us even if they do go on and work somewhere else by volunteering and that kind of thing. So I think uh, that's one benefit. But also in terms of customers, I know consumers are much more concerned about where they're spending their money and that being ethical. So there's obviously this real customer loyalty that you get from a customer who sees that their money is going much further when they're purchasing from us as opposed to another kind of high street bakery or cafe. So there is that benefit commercially, but day to day, there are definitely trade-off decisions you have to make between the social mission and the commercial profit.
0: Yeah, and Can you talk about some of the trade-offs that you've had to make in the other way? Were there certain decisions that you had to make just out of commercial necessity, where you would have liked to have made a different decision because of the social mission, but just being pragmatic, the commercial imperative is what took over?
1: absolutely yeah I think my heart would be that we'd give every possible job opportunity to a woman that needs a job and um, actually that's not sensible you do need to make sure that a they've got a kind of secure workplace where they've got people they can lean on and the business can continue if they for whatever reason can't turn up to work or aren't performing so there's definitely a balancing act of making sure that workforce wise we've got enough people who aren't experiencing disadvantage and have got experience under their belt to be able to carry it. But we've also, I think the structure we've chosen has really helped because the charity is able to train and support a lot more women than the business is currently able to employ. So all of them get work experience with us, but the paid job opportunities are limited to the number of jobs that the business can currently provide. So we really didn't want the charitable mission to be held back by the business. So what's great about separating the two is that the charity can have this huge ambition to train and support loads and loads of women and is then free to work with other partners as employers, as well as um, obviously the really significant one, our bakery business. So we've definitely seen that we didn't want the business's lack of resources to hold back the charity either.
0: And one of the challenges that I often hear about running a responsible business is that we don't know how to keep score. So if your focus is on profit, you just track financial metrics like revenues and costs and so forth. But with social purpose, how do you know how you're doing? Because sometimes the measures of success might be intangible. So what are the measures that you track on the day to day as as a CEO? And what are the measures that you report to your investors?
1: Yeah, obviously, revenue and profit are all uh, really significant KPIs that we track. But of course, on top of that, we also have our um, social impact measures. And my background is the charity sector. So there's quite a lot of really useful tools to help you measure your impact on that side of things. So obviously, there's kind of tangible quantitative data. So number of women in work, number of opportunities created, but also then there's the qualitative. So what types of jobs are they in? How satisfied are they in those jobs? What's their feedback on those opportunities? What are they progressing into and how are they moving forward in other areas of their life? So are they gaining more independence as a result of luminaries interventions? So there's loads of really good tools and, and things like theory of change that help you to plot out your impact and work out what services you're offering that help whoever you're trying to help or whatever kind of social purpose you're trying to achieve, make sure that what you're delivering is achieving that goal.
0: So you talk about those other resources that you're using in terms of, of measuring success, but I also understand that you, you work with an accelerator to help them um, get off the ground. Could you tell me about what they provided in terms of support and mentorship and how that could be useful for other entrepreneurs thinking of starting a social enterprise?
1: Definitely. Yeah, we um, did a social enterprise accelerator program run by Resurgo Ventures, and they actually really helped us define our impact as well. And we were already having social impact, but they really helped us hone it and also helped us track what we were measuring. So they've been a really significant part of developing that. But I, I would really recommend an accelerator program, whoever runs it, because it gives you that opportunity to think about your business in a way that you can't when you're doing the day-to-day and the operational. It's a big investment to take time out of the day-to-day and to think more strategically, but it's really paid off for Luminary. They helped us to get investment ready, so we'd never taken investment before doing that, and they helped us with all sorts of elements of running our business, from our financial modelling to marketing to very detailed operations and the social impact, as I mentioned, and then also access to pools of investors and um, pitching to them and pitching training as well, which is always helpful.
0: And can you tell me about your relationship with your investors? And for full disclosure, I'm an angel investor (laughs) in Loomery and and they found it to be one. But, But why I ask that is not so much that I'm an angel investor, but when I speak to large companies, one of the things that really hold them back from becoming more purposeful is the concern that investors are evaluating them according to short-term profit. They don't really understand, they can't get into the weeds of the company to understand intangible factors. So how is it that you are able to pursue these um, other criteria without investors thinking, well, when am I going to get my return?
1: I think for us it's the key has been finding investors who who really want to invest in social impact so um I think it would be too much of a leap to try and convince a purely profit driven investor to invest in something where there is going to be this trade-off of course you need financial return but you're also getting this social return on your investment and for us the key to that has been finding those investors who are equally as passionate about both and trying to make their money work harder to be able to have this social impact and have that social return so it was more about finding people who are already of that mindset and getting them involved
0: and can we just turn our attention now to, to the crisis, which has has been really sad for for any small business? And and um Loom, I understand has had to, has to close its bakeries. Can you tell me um, how you thought about how to respond to the crisis, and how did you end up deciding on the on the decisions that you made?
1: Yeah, um, obviously, it's been some of the hardest business decisions we've ever had to make. A key factor, obviously, was um, team and their safety, their well being obviously our entire mission is about creating employment for people. So we were having to do the opposite in almost taking employment away from people, which was devastating, but so grateful for government schemes that have meant we can keep team employed whilst we're closed. And we were trying to weigh up the kind of What's the legal position in terms of what we are physically allowed to operate? And then on top of that, what's the moral and ethical implications of the decisions that we're making? So we took the decision to close the bakeries to prioritise team safety and well-being. And are working now that there's a bit more government guidance about how to make your workplace COVID secure and uh, how to consider team travel to work and all those extra things that make team willing and able to come back to work. We're now looking at a reopening plan, but I think it was exactly the right decision to close um, for the time that we did. Meanwhile, our charity has been operating virtually and remotely for supporting the women that we work with. So that's not had to stop, which has been great.
0: And the women who used to work in the bakery for Luminary, are they now working on other things for Luminary or are you are they furloughed and being part of the government scheme? So what what decision do you have to make there?
1: yeah we've furloughed baristas and people whose roles couldn't necessarily translate to uh, working from home but for a number of roles it has been possible to to get them working from home and they've been working on some really cool stuff to make sure that we come back in a slicker and more efficient way and it's been a great opportunity to to kind of use that time that we aren't operating to get to some of those things that we wouldn't normally be able to or be much harder and take much longer if we were operating. So, for example, we're um, redoing our website, we're implementing some new software that's going to make everything much more efficient. So, we're excited about actually uh, being able to grow through this time, even though, of course, um, revenue has been stopped.
0: And in terms of the government. Support. Uh, So if you think about the cause that you uh, are contributing to to begin with, which is disadvantaged women, what support does government provide for them to begin with? And and what did you see as the gap? Because in an ideal world, we wouldn't need social enterprise because government should address these issues. But what was the gap that you you saw that um, Luminary needed to fill?
1: Great question. There are a lot of gaps, unfortunately. There are some some really good schemes. Um, I think, obviously, lots more of the population due to COVID have been accessing universal credit, and I'm hoping that that has highlighted some of the issues with universal credit and and helped them to streamline that process. But government benefits definitely are limited and uh, have numerous problems with them. I think the point of universal credit was to um, move away from previous systems and to try and help people who are trying to get back into work. I think that was the heart behind it, but the practicalities don't actually make it easier for people to get into work, unfortunately. So there's this real difficulty with navigating that system and trying to leave benefits behind and move into paid employment. So there's a real need to help people earn enough money to be able to not rely on that. And we, in equipping people for jobs in London who are paying London rents are struggling to help women earn enough money to be able to completely pull away from the government support so I think that's that's kind of a more than a government issue that's a business issue as well that jobs need to be paying enough for people to be able to pay their rent and to be able to live near their work so that's kind of a societal issue, I guess. But then there's a number of issues with access to education. Uh, many of the women we work with didn't grow up in the UK. So uh, having to try and access education here, they've got massive ambition and are really talented, but have um, very limited access to further education because it's so expensive. Also, many of them are entrepreneurial, but there's very few grants or business support schemes that they can access to set up their own business. Some women that we have trained have managed to do it from home and are running very small businesses, but they've got ambition, they want to grow. And and there's, a, I think, a gap in the support available to help really small micro businesses to scale. I could probably go on. There's lots I think our society could do better. I think there is a responsibility for businesses and employers to really think about who they're employing. Our country is better than other countries at employing people who have a criminal record, but there's still a long way to go. I think we need to be able to give people second chances um, and make sure that they don't have to live out that prison sentence for life. Um, Actually, if they've done their time, they should be allowed a second chance, in my opinion. And we've got lots of examples of women doing beautifully with their second chance. But I think it takes employers, businesses, consumers, government all of us to really think about our privilege and think about the opportunities that we could be creating for other people.
0: Thanks, and all the things that you're talking about, Alice, will, will resonate with a lot of listeners. So, women's empowerment, and also people not from the UK, and so forth. So, if there's a listener who just really wants to support what you're doing, how can they do so? So, I'm sure there's many ways. There's as a customer, or maybe as a mentor, or helping with the charity. But let's start as a customer first. So, the basic question is: What are the baked goods that you sell, and and when we come through the other side, do they need to visit the Chalk Farm Bakery, or can they order the products on online? So, how, how can somebody be a customer of Luminary? Mm,
1: thank you. We are predominantly a cake bakery, so um, amazing, delicious and beautiful cakes that you can buy just kind of a slice of if you want to just enjoy it yourself, or you can order for parties, we do celebration cakes, corporate events, and crucially weddings, which everybody needs cake for. And at the moment, um, you can either buy a gift voucher if you want to redeem that for when we're open, you can redeem those for cakes or for in-store purchases um, when we're back open. You can also order online. We're doing mail order brownies when we reopen, so we can get those all across the UK. And we're actually launching a cookbook in August, which you can pre-order at the moment as well from our website, so luminarybakery.com.
0: And do you also have people who who help out uh, with the mission, for example, to to mentor these women? Or you mentioned the charity you're involved in. Are there people who, if, if this is something where they feel passionate about and feel they have some skills to help out, are, are there ways of doing that through the charity?
1: Absolutely, yeah, both for the business and the charity. We're um, often taking up opportunities for pro bono assistance, so whether that's legal or commercial advice. I know our business team are very grateful for people to run ideas past, get some expert opinions on, um, or to mentor people within our team. And that could be women we've trained or otherwise. Um, and then, yes, there's lots of volunteering opportunities on the charity side of things. Again, mentoring um, or sharing skills, uh, lots of different ways. Pretty much any skill and any willing volunteer will make use of.
0: And how would somebody get in touch if, if they wanted to uh, help out?
1: The easiest way is on our website. So we've got a contact us form on there or there's a number that you can ring if you'd prefer.
0: So let's move beyond Lumini. So uh, what what do you do before you you launch Lumini? You mentioned you worked in in the charity. So what specifically were you doing?
1: I trained in youth and community work. So I was working as a youth worker kind of originally and then got a bit more interest, I guess, in the women's sector. So did some volunteering to upskill myself in that area and volunteered in an organisation in Thailand that was helping women exit prostitution there. And that really helped shape my thinking about Luminary and the model that we've gone for. They were a great organisation to work with. And then came back to London, where I'm from, and volunteered with uh, an outreach organisation and within a women's homeless hostel and started a or helped to launch a community cafe in East London. And that's the cafe that Luminary sprang out of.
0: And so when did you know it was the the right time to sort of quit that and venture into the unknown and and launch your, your own business?
1: Yeah, I'm really lucky that I didn't have to um, kind of quit a full time job to launch Luminary. Um, Because I was working in a cafe, I was able to kind of just reduce my shifts there and increase my time with Luminary gradually. So I have a lot of respect for people that just kind of quit their job totally and go all in. For me, it was a much more gradual process. Um, And I only went full time with Luminary once we'd secured enough money to be able to pay my salary that
0: way. And, and how did you find the, the other people that you, you launched Luminary with? Did you know them previously or was it that once you decided to start up, then you advertised and, and got the uh, other employees?
1: Initially, it was myself and two other of my colleagues at the cafe on Brick Lane. So they were both foodies and they brought that element of what we do. Um, I'm not a baker, so a bit embarrassing to run a bakery and not know anything about baking. They brought that side of things. And then obviously, as we grew, we needed to recruit more people and particularly kind of specialist areas of expertise. Um, And that's when we brought in my now co-founder, as we call her, Rachel. Rachel.
0: And did you have, you you talked about the accelerator, but did you have other business mentors that you you personally knew and and guided you through this process? Or were there business heroes whose books you read and you took guidance from them as as you made your decisions?
1: Yeah, there's been a number that I've looked to for advice or kind of experts in the field. I guess there's a few different sectors that my role crosses. So there's uh, social enterprise experts, there's food business experts, there's um, experts in the women and girls sector. So a huge variety of people that I look to for inspiration, but I was thinking about two in particular that I've really valued their input from. Um, One is actually Ben and Jerry's, who Luminary have a good relationship with. We stock their scoop shop in Soho, and they have been really impressive to do business with, obviously quite known for their ethics, but seeing some of the internal workings, I've been really impressed by the way they treat their team and the way they do business. And their head of retail actually has generously given me quite a lot of time to navigate the COVID crisis so we've been on the phone he's been advising and not just operationally but really helping think through the kind of integrity of decisions so yeah very impressed by them and grateful to get to work with them and another that I've been chatting with is Liz Warner who was the CEO of Comic Relief until recently very impressive woman who um, has a great heart for social enterprise and um, she's been guiding me a bit through this time as well
0: thanks and looking back to to two thousand and fourteen, if you could start over again was there is there anything that you might have done differently uh, knowing what you now know after the the six years you've been working with luminary?
1: Great question. Um I think you can learn a heck of a lot and you can look back with rose tinted spectacles and think, oh, we should have done it like that. But I think you you just do what you can with what you have at the time. So I I wouldn't necessarily change anything because it, it's helped obviously grow us to where we are today I think we have always done things on a shoestring at Luminary and I think it's really good to be lean and I think we've learned a lot through that and been really creative and uh, had to rely on other people so it's built our network but that has been it's come at quite a, a personal cost to people. Our team have put in 200% and it's been exhausting. So if there if there was a way perhaps to have limited the kind of personal cost it's come at um, for our team members, I, I would have loved that. But I think it's shaped us and, and we've shown that we've got tenacity and resilience. So, yeah, not necessarily regrets really, just things to learn from going forward.
0: And keeping with that 200% idea, as, as the CEO and founder, is it hard to leave your, your work at home? Are there, is it difficult to draw boundaries? Because you could always be doing more stuff about your business, and particularly it's a business that you care about passionately so much in terms of the mission as well as the business side.
1: Definitely. I think boundaries is a word we mentioned daily, um, trying to make sure that we maintain some sort of balance um, for myself, but also for other senior members of the team. Yeah, it's really hard when you care so much about something and you could give all hours of the day to it. And, and some days do call for that, but... I think if you want longevity in something you do have to find a balance so I'm I'm constantly sort of reminding myself of that and I've got good people around me who remind me that too that actually if you if you go too hard you will burn out we're all human and um yeah trying to take a long-term view into something if something can wait till tomorrow it just has to sometimes
0: And so how else have you been spending your time during the the lockdown, aside from working on the long term projects with Luminary?
1: Uh, Yeah, probably like other people, I've got a bit more time to exercise at the moment, which is really good for my mental health and physical health. So it's been really nice to be able to get out and the sunshine has been amazing. I'm used to exercising in the gym, so I've taken up running for the first time and it's going surprisingly well, actually. I'm quite enjoying it.
0: Well, thanks very much, Alice, for all of the insights that you've shared. It's a real treat to learn from the experience of a founder who's instilled mission and purpose into a business right from the very start, because it's so tempting to think, well, we need to focus on profit first, and only later can we think about a social mission. So you've been listening to Alex Edmonds, Professor of Finance at London Business School. We're here with Alice Williams, the CEO and founder of Luminary Bakery, a social enterprise which helps disadvantaged women. Thank you very much to everybody for listening.